avant-garde. I'm Andrea Gazetta. I'm Katrina Davis. And it's just the two of us today because yep. Jordan's got things to do. Yeah. The, What's up? The, the, the new duo back to close out the year. Bow, 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 bow. We haven't dropped anything in months, but we yeah. love you. <laughs> so <we're> yeah. Gonna... <laughs> Look, this is going to be our last episode for a while. Um, this is, here's what happened. Uh, this is going to be our last episode ever. Probably <laughs> ever. Yeah. yeah. Cause here's what happened last year. I made $16,000 and I am tired. <laughs> and, uh, as much as I love doing this show, researching, uh, basically doing a book report once a month. So we don't have time to do book reports that don't pay us pay us money yeah that really um, is the long and, and short to, of it and not to put that on any of you th- uh that is not a shot at patreon that is not at all the pain of being a creative that is trying to do something you love and live off of it and so yes earlier this year our listeners um know that Jordan left the podcast because she had to take some time off for herself personally. And then I moved across the country. Um, I live in New York now. So in New York. (laughs) I am. And uh, between all of that and then we were like, okay, we're going to take a break and then reconvene. And when we reconvened, we realized that we just, uh, are no longer at the capacity where we can do episodes at the frequency that we want to, or in the any quality. kind of way that's, yeah, any yeah. kind of way that is um, consistent at the moment. So this will be our last podcast. Uh, we love you all so much. We have discussed doing like possibly some specialty like themed chunks of episodes yeah um, i i'm i'm working on writing some grants that if we could pay ourselves to record the podcast yeah even like, like a little <laughs> amount i am just adjusting to uh living in new york and also um needing to make more money and needing to be out at night more and not researching artists that I am wormholing and obsessing over which is quite enjoyable um so fun. when you have the time and aren't like running to mics and trying to catch trains and everything that I'm adjusting to too so hope- yeah how's it going so I far mean, I mean like it's been great I love it I love living here I can't uh, I feel like a lot of people were like concerned about me liking it like I guess yeah even just as a city it has this kind of um running theme of crushing people and their dreams but it's been pretty righteous so (laughs) far like people said the same thing about LA and I loved it there too so exactly I I think the thing is is it's like if if people are concerned like when I first moved to LA everyone was like oh my god like you shouldn't move to LA till you're ready, blah, 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 this and that. And it was just like, no, I like have a job here. Yeah. And like, it's going to be fine. And as long as you're like finding work for yourself and as long as you're someone who's self-motivated and you understand that it's going to be a hustle and a grind, like it's 
like, yeah, this is about what I expected, exactly. and I'm here for yeah, it. Yeah, so. nothing, um, you know, knock on wood, nothing insanely gnarly has happened to me or anything. Did you just knock on your head to knock yeah. on Yeah, you don't know that joke? <laughs> no. That is honestly a tick from, like, second that's grade. That's a dad joke, yeah, right? that's just, like, okay. uh, something a math teacher did to me once, and I don't ever not do that now um that's really cute (laughs) but yeah so yeah everything's been great but we just uh cannot currently keep up the schedule that we want to have the podcast to make it worth while for everyone that all of the fans that we've accumulated that love it so much we want to be able to give you you know a a, we want to do a good yeah we want to give you like quality content and Like Andrea said, we like took this break uh, after Jordan took some time off and I moved thinking that we would be able to get back to things and it just has not worked out how we planned. So this is a story of my ADHD life is like, I can totally do that. Time isn't real. Time's a construct. And then you get to a point where like where I'm currently at, where I thought that the seven paintings I had to do before to the end of the year would be done by now and three of them are four of them are half done and three of them are like 10 percent done and it is the 29th for anyone that wants some context for how many days it's andrea has left for those not happening things. it's just not happening that's also- and i have a whole solo show to plan for to have finished it has to be finished photographed and dried by the end of february and i'm just like I don't know how it's going to get done. I feel like that's a (laughs) really good thing to accept, though, that you aren't going to not sleep for the next two days trying to get something done that is probably unrealistic. You're like, nope, I'm going to get done what I can get done. And I'm going to do my best. That's all we can do. My solo show might only be six paintings. (laughs) Like. But <laughs> it's okay. It'll be but, fine. Yeah. So that's our long way of saying this will be your last time hearing from us for a while. But we'll keep you posted on any awesome uh, grants that we snag that will allow us to potentially do more in the future. Like I said, we've talked about doing like a certain group of themed episodes where we could probably like bank yeah. a couple at a time and if you're a long time listener long time of like a year and a half um please feel free to let us know of any themes that you have if it's like a time period or a particular kind of art or a particular um I don't know country of artists anything that you know is a theme that you think would be fun for the future let us know just in case we do get to come back and like drop a few specialty episodes in the future, um, but we didn't want. It would definitely be fun to do pre-Nazi Germany. Oh my gosh! Yes. Like all the shit the Nazis the fucked files. up. Mm. Um, that would There's be so much. Of yeah, that. that's a great idea. Germany was wildin' before Hitler came. Like people are like, I think it's so funny when people are like, trans people are new, and it's like this new thing. It's like. There were trans people in Germany mm-hmm. in 1921 that were like openly trans, and yeah. then and it's like Hitler was like Native people get rid had of this two shit. spirits before any of that. Like, there's always been people who were like, yeah, that person is cool, For and so they just have a 
like you said, a duality or whatever kind of fluidity. And we're all like cool with it because we're in the forest Absolutely. and no one cares. Um, <laughs> well, also, like, I mean, in native cultures, two spirit were seen as like higher beings, like sort yes. of beyond this realm. The idea was that they were more in touch with their spiritual nature and they were kind of more like shamans or people that were seen as like wise. And so it's kind of like they were revered in their culture as being like between between the world sort of, which is. Um, yeah. Wild. In the new Taika Watiti, Is that how you say his name? Yeah. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. in his newest movie, Next Goal Wins, there is a uh, trans character and. <gasps> um they at one point kind of speak to like no she's like one of the most special people on the team like she brings all of this lightness and joy and they kind of revere her in a way where they're like no she's like one of the best people we have you know what I mean in just being herself on the field or whatever and they kind of touch on that it's nice um but yeah, so thank you all for tuning in. This is going to be this is going to be kind of like what you would normally hear on the Patreon side of things. So if you never subscribed, this is a little treat for you, maybe. I don't know. If you, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, kind of. It's maybe. over now. You're too yeah. late. <laughs> um No, it's no. fine. We're it's really I almost fine. sang that We're it just... must have been love song, but it's too high of a key. I'm not going to do that to you all. Um but I believe in you. <laughs> no. Do you know what song I'm talking about? It's like an old 80s song. It must Yes, been thank love, you. But it's, but over, it's over now. now. <laughs> See, um, you fucking crush uh, it. I yeah, knew I it. I did not need to do that, but it is over now. But this is <laughs> <laughs> what we're doing now is more of like a loosey goosey art news episode that we kind of started doing for Patreon only where we talk about. Uh, current more current things that are happening in the art world and just discuss those topics um so yeah we're just gonna do some art news to close out the year let's do it uh do you mind if i start this time no i want you to start fantastic (laughs) for those that don't know a little behind the curtain we recorded this episode once and lost the audio (laughs) well we we never had it we only had my audio (laughs) So it was just me talking to myself with a bunch of real sad gaps of <laughs> very pertinent information, um, <sighs> which is even more upsetting because I just go back and download all of these different files, hoping that at some point you'll hear a real my conversation. Yeah. Yes. I was just like listening to every version I had being like, oh, my gosh, where's Andrea? Come on, Andrea. And it was like, nope, just silence and me. Okay, so this is an article. This one is one we didn't do last time, so I think that'll be more fun. This is an article from 404media.co, not .com. It's called, quote, Largest Dataset Powering AI Images Removed After Discovery of Child Sexual Abuse Material. Oh, man. Written by Samantha Cole. I'm so excited to hear how long it took for it to get to this point. Well, okay, so this is what's crazy. So these Stanford researchers were kind of like going through the data sets. They found 3,226 suspected instances of child sexual abuse material in the 
Laon-5B, L-A-I-O-N. I don't know what it stands for. It's the company name. Okay. What's weird is that they're a nonprofit, but they're an AI company. It's really weird. It's like, uh, this seems shady. But anyway, so they're a quote-unquote nonprofit AI company. It's this major data set. It's used by Stable Diffusion, a lot of other major generative AI products. A little around a thousand of those were like very suspected, meaning like pretty much confirmed it's child mm-hmm. sexual abuse material. Which two thousand were like a little creepy. One thousand were like definitely creepy. Well, so the problem with child sexual abuse material is that you're not allowed to look at it to verify most people like if you look at it if you like open the file and look at it on your computer that's illegal so even if you're you're already flagged you're already flagged so if you're a company that is trying to be like we're scraping the internet yeah for billions of images we have no control of it just the ai is just doing it because of this algorithm we, we wrote you can't look first of all the time it would take to look at every image to be like that's not child porn good job Mm -hmm. not even enough time in the world the second problem is that it's illegal for them to even look at it so there is a type of technology that they can use that what it essentially does is it um looks at like the data points of the the csam child sexual abuse material csam mm. we'll call it that that's what they kept they that made ac- it an acronym that acronym's almost too cool for child porn but it's way too cool <laughs> everything is too cool for child porn but yeah csam so basically like there is an algorithm that looks at essentially like so a lot of child porn the way that it's propagated it's like someone shares this image and then they share the image again and they share the image again and so there's all these like links because it's obviously so illegal but Mm. it's kind of within these dark corners of the internet so right there is a type of sort of like protective ai software that can look at the data itself without looking at the image Mm. to confirm that like this is something we know is child porn because this data has been flagged as being child porn because after you say the data but not the image is the data where it came from it's essentially like the file code, if that makes okay. sense. Like the okay. the 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 code of the file can be looked at by the AI without okay. a human being looking at it. So Clicking that's why anything. when they say Stanford researchers, there's three thousand suspected and one thousand strongly suspected images of child porn. It's basically like they, the researchers can't look at it legally. They have to involve some type of law enforcement agency. Okay, that's that what I was just going to ask. So who looks like the FBI? Yeah, so if for this, it's Canada-based. So they actually had a Canadian, like the a branch of like the Canadian child sexual abuse unit or whatever mm-hmm. looked at it. Um, Canadian SVU? Basically, yeah. It's like Canadian SVU, but it's like, their FBI I guess Mm -hmm. Uh, so they looked at it but so the tricky thing too is that 
this company knew as early as 2021 that this was a potential problem, they literally show in the article a screenshot of their Discord chat where they're like, hey, so uh, I think there might, you know, since we're just kind of like randomly scraping the internet for thousands and thousands of images and we have right. like no control over this, right. the internet has child porn on it. There's a pretty strong possibility that we could have child porn and their whole thing was like well we just don't really have the time to like look at it and so like there's just not a lot we can really do about it and also like no one else is really doing any like their kind of whole thing was like well other industries aren't other industry leaders in ai generative images and data sets aren't like doing all of this protocol to go through every single image and like we can't be expected to go through every single image so like the industry standards set three years ago, it's like all of these companies yeah. are so new. Your They're industry so new. standard is just whatever people have thought of so far, which so in they, terms of AI is not much. For, like, yeah. So they basically did kind of like the like a minimum kind of like cursory AI thing. But there's this other technology. So while you're looking that up is like. Every podcast that I've listened to about AI and these companies and even understanding the functionality of it is like they barely understand how AI works. They're putting yes. stuff out there that they truly cannot explain themselves. So I definitely wouldn't expect them to be able to regulate it. They barely know how it's doing what it's doing on its own as it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that I mean, <sighs> The problem the is that they nervous. know when they don't care. So, like, if you look at this chat, the chat is really interesting. It says, one one guy, Christoph, says, quote, we cannot check every sample manually, but we try to filter some stuff out using Clip. Clip is uh, this type of software that um, helps to kind of, like, does what I was saying, where it, like, kind of looks at the image like and tries to look at the data. data points or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So... Uh, so, okay, I'm going to just read the chat, the, the yeah. line by line. So it says, hi, everyone, the Swedish NLP researcher here again. We're really keen on helping, but some questions have come up. The first one is, how have you handled potential illegal, illegal data that might accidentally be included? This guy, Christoph, we quote, we cannot check every sample manually, but we try to filter some stuff out using clip during the process and we're also working on a classifier for nsfw and toxic language that we will use to take the next data set before we will release it this researcher says i think checking for image license is also a great method but you might lose a lot of potential data mm -hmm. this other guy richard says since we are not distributing or deriving other images from originals i do not think image licensing applies Quick side note, there's a whole lawsuit going on right now, basically by artists whose artwork has been mined by these data sets mm -hmm. and who AI has been spitting out images that are like very, very copyright infringement. There's an mm -hmm. artist that I know named Kelly McKernan. She's one of the people listed in the lawsuit. Um, and essentially it shows like her artwork and then it shows a bunch of quote unquote AI generated artwork that looks exactly like her artwork with very slight differences right. because people are 
using her name and her images to try and make work like hers through the AI. So they're putting her images into it to try and get that out. And these companies are just sort of like taking all of this material and not licensing it, not paying artists anything, and right. using it to make these products. Yeah, because so, what would their argument it's be a whole problem. that the person who uploaded it was doing something illegal with the licensed material, well, no. not them? They're they scraping okay. the internet. So their scraping software is taking Kelly's work, but oh. it's searchable. Like, you can search, make work like Kelly McCurden. Mm-hmm. You know, Kelly McCurden paints a woman standing, whatever. And it will do it. It'll do, basically, it takes one of her paintings and modifies it, but it's not Mm -hmm. making something unique enough to get around copyright infringement. Mm -hmm. So that's the issue, is that they're not licensing any of these images. They're not looking at how, how legal or not legal they are. This researcher also brings up the fact that, like, there's a lot of essentially like revenge porn images being scraped. So they're intimate Mm -hmm. images of adults. So Mm -hmm. it's not child porn, but like it's not consensual. It's not consensual. Mm -hmm. And so the legality of even having those images in the data set varies by jurisdiction. So in some countries it might be legal because they might not have revenge porn laws. In some countries they're illegal, but it's like, those are potentially very illegal and for them to be distributing it is a crime. Mm. That's the problem is like that for them to distribute child sexual abuse material through their data set is a crime. Okay. So if you're using AI and you're downloading these data sets to, to power your AI that you want to use for your own purposes, you're downloading child pornography in that data set. So they're distributing child pornography, which is a crime. (laughs) Just by nature of the the indiscriminate scraping. Exactly. Because it's indiscriminate and they're not checking. And you know what I mean? So what they actually did is they took the data sets down currently in, quote, an abundance of caution. But again, this chat from 2021 is... Here, here, I'm going to continue reading this guy. Richard V says, I guess distributing link to an image such as child porn can be deemed illegal. We tried to eliminate such things, but there's no guarantee all of them are out. What I see is that all big players have the same issue, and they even do not release openly models and data sets since for them this can be very risky. But they include biased disclaimers on every blog post I read recently. Therefore, I think it is not realistic to expect from us better standards than the industry at large has. The industry, again, that's two years old. Yeah. Researchers should be using like our data. You can set. make the new standard right now. Like that's literally just sitting around and being like, well, no one else is doing it. So I'm not going to be the first one to lose money this way. Well, what's crazy is that they're listing themselves as a nonprofit. That's the pro- really weird, too. It's super weird. But the problem with nonprofit stuff, too, is that, like, even if you're listed as a nonprofit, you can pay your CEO $50 million, and it's you're still a nonprofit. So, like... You can just is- spend all the money you make and call yourself a nonprofit? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, what you have to say is that you're not creating profit for things like shareholders... You're not creating profit. Like, if you're a company... So, like, for instance, 
let's take the breast cancer awareness foundation as Mm -hmm. as a an example Mm -hmm. so the breast cancer this big issue with the breast cancer foundation everyone supports it there's like these walks for breast cancer awareness we're all fucking aware of breast cancer the breast cancer awareness foundation pays its ceos pretty high like fees Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of marketing that goes into it a lot of the money spent they're not even necessarily because it's breast cancer awareness all they really are is a marketing company saying like hey breast cancer exists they're not like when people donate they think they're looking they're donating to find a cure yeah that foundation survivors or something yeah that foundation isn't necessarily yeah no it's like oh we're giving money to people that survive we're giving the mm-hmm. money to p- help people with their hospital bills like when people give to a nonprofit organization they often think that that money is going directly to a cause yeah we that equate is, nonprofit with charity but that's not the case I it's guess not always the, the case so because it's the breast cancer awareness foundation all they have to do is make people aware, which is like harder to prove. So it's like, yes, technically that's their mission, but they're not necessarily like finding a cure or like funding no. a cure or doing anything. But the people who made the foundation get paid pretty well yeah. to they're do just it. like, so have you like, ever heard of breast cancer? Yeah, my job is done. Exactly. Pay me. <laughs> so it's like a very like it's really important, especially in America, to look into people who are classifying themselves as nonprofits, especially mm. if you're giving money to see like how much of my donation actually goes to the cause and how much of my donation goes to like quote unquote the overhead of the organization mm. there's a huge scam with um people who are calling to like there's a there's a documentary i believe it's on hulu and it's about these call centers that were they would call Yo, and they'd be like marketers it's, it's on hbo max i think yes it's so it's, good it's so Watch good telemarketers if you haven't but it's basically like these companies are like oh yeah so we're calling on behalf you know this is for the widows of police like retired police veterans or whatever mm-hmm. but basically like only a dollar of your $50 donation was going to the police company or you know like the the widows the police of company fall the police company it your, would be like, like it's supposed the to be like department the, in your area was not getting most of that money most yes. of that money is this most like, of the money was going back into the telemarketers pockets and the right. company because it was like marketing itself as this charitable organization people would lie and say like yeah i'm a i'm a police officer i used to be a police officer now i'm retired whatever and they're kind of like lying to get these donations but the donation was really just going right back into the company's pocket and making the ceos a lot of money so again Mm -hmm. it's really important to check out what kind of nonprofits you're donating money to and this is Mm -hmm. technically a nonprofit, and they're distributing child pornography by accident because they don't care enough to look into Mm -hmm. it and they're definitely, like you're saying, even as a nonprofit, like we're equating even that phrase with any kind of help or something. What would they as a nonprofit, where would your profit be going? Not to the artist whose right. art you're taking. Like what would. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how little you have to prove that you're a nonprofit. Like you have to have some type of like. There's some type of community outreach that you have to do. There's there's like certain kind of things that you have to do to like prove that you're a nonprofit. But I mean, 
it's it can be scammy it can be scam adjacent so it's always I important mean, yeah. to kind of look into that but yeah like, so they, this dude yeah. is basically like yeah so it's not really realistic for us to ex- you know to expect better from us than the industry standards mm-hmm. and researchers should use our data set and create tools to help clean any data set like this i expect some better licensing terms will be employed for the big data set release at least mentioning these problems and our standpoint related to them so more or less, he's kind of like, yeah, there could be some stuff in there, but we're kind of tr- we did some stuff. So basically, they had to take all these someone, data sets down. Someone should and make scrub something them. that makes it easier to find all of this stuff, but they haven't yet. So we're just gonna kick it. Well, the problem too is that like the so the software that they use to like quote unquote search for these like child mm-hmm. pornographic materials. It relies on knowing which, like, URL data, like, image data sets are child pornography. Right. And so, like, it's hard to know that for sure without looking at the images. And, again, they're not legally allowed to look at the images. So what they had to do this round is they actually involved the – it's called Project Arachnid Shield EPI – and it's, it said it was validated by the Canadian Center for Child Protection, which is able to view, verify, and report those images to authorities. So once the there images are verified, they could find other, like, matches that were related and right. take those images down as well. Right. But again, that's like... That's what I was un- thinking. It's like, they're like, oh, well, we can't look at them. It's like, well, who can? Yeah. Like, you have just to- answer that question. Just find someone who's allowed to look at it and be like, hey, we need to make sure that this thing that all of these images like uh, hundreds of thousands possibly millions of images that we aren't legally allowed to look at but like we really need to or want to even make sure that we're not distributing child porn absolutely and i i think like when it comes to i mean there's we've talked about this before but there's issues with ai where people are using AI video and they're uploading porn into it and then they're doing like face swap software to like face swap a celebrity into the Mm. porn so it Mm. looks like so and that that becomes like a weird revenge porn thing or even weirder people have like done it with people they know you know yeah. what I mean? Like this, like there's a, a creepy cre- dude who has a crush yep. on you, and you exactly. took a bunch of your Facebook photos, uh-huh. put them into AI software, and made weird porn and just, with you in it. That's like, so gross. Like that's, it's so well, gross. It's so uh, electronically violating to Absolutely. think about someone that like you don't even want to talk to being like, "Well, I can watch you, essentially, not you, but like your face." Yeah. Be, you know, degraded or whatever. Like, even just in that act, you know what I mean, in itself. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't necessarily be able to see whoever you want do that. Not without paying them. Yeah. So there's just, hey, there's a lot of pro- Was that Abner? Yeah. <laughs> Abner just streaked across the screen like a ghost. It was amazing. He jumped across me to get to his shoelace. That's so cute. But yeah, it's like it's it's interesting because this stuff is relatively new. And I think everyone is like, AI is the future. AI is the future. And it's like there's all these problems with 
child pornography, licensing issues. Like, there's just so many problems with AI that people want to ignore because they see it as, quote-unquote, the future. And it's like, why is this the future? You know what I mean? Like, even with it being a nonprofit, with everything you said about people thinking it's the future, it's like, what? are people doing with this besides just posting an album of their own face in different like avatar looking illustrations? Do you know what I mean? Like who is yeah using, even if this company at one point, like I said, I feel like it's not a nonprofit in the way that we think about nonprofits because like you said, they have not even come close to helping anyone. Like there's no, like, I don't know who this is supposed to be helping, but who would this even be useful for? Because it's like, are companies buying images? Are they um, paying AI companies to give them images that they in turn use for content or ads? Or like, like who is using this that isn't just having fun with it at this point? So the goal mm-hmm. and the the concept behind it is that eventually – a book company instead of hiring an artist can go and make an AI generated book cover. Mm. So the idea is to like save money on artists. But the problem with that is that you're data mining from other artists who did not consent to their images being used. Who, and who very much exist. Who are alive. Like, you can't. <laughs> and so, yeah. like, the idea, and, I mean, this is an issue. This is why there was a lot of, in the n- most recent sh- SAG strikes for, and the writer's strikes, mm-hmm. there's why, mm-hmm. it's the reason why there were all these clauses and worries about AI is because mm-hmm. Hollywood is like, well, we can, like, license an extra, essentially. Like, we can, like, get their likeness, and we can just cgi and just throw them in the background of stuff so it's kind of like erasing background work erasing you know all these sort of low-paying like tools like children's book Mm. authors children's book authors it's expensive it takes a long time to write Mm -hmm. you know to like illustrate images and now on Amazon, there are a ton of AI generated children's books, which are actually really harmful because like the stories aren't good. Like they're not written well. They're written by AI and they don't make a lot of sense. Right. I was just about to say, because even in terms of copy and the same kind of fears, it's like you still and being in this industry currently, it's like you're still going to have to pay someone to fix that trash. Yeah. Because you read it, it and it sounds insane, sense. and it almost takes just as long for me to fix something that bad as it does to just come up with a better way to say it. Well, on the my weird own. thing too is, so artists have started using some artists, usually lower level artists, mm-hmm. have started using like ChatGPT or AI to generate their artist statements or generate letters to, um. Uh, like to approach galleries and a gallery that mm. I know of and I'm a friend of like posted 
an AI generated letter and you can tell that like it's it's just gibberish like it's just generated by AI Mm -hmm. there's all these words it's very it's not the way that you should be approaching a gallery so there's all these sort of issues where Mm. people are trying to use AI to cut corners but right it is meaningless content because there's no soul behind it there's no person behind it there's no substance there's no substance to it so it it really is like Mm -hmm. junk food of art and it's just created using a lot of stuff that it shouldn't have like child pornography and unlicensed artwork images yeah i i don't know i feel like the whole industry is just moving so much faster than people care to acknowledge or pay attention to or be responsible about that they're just kind of like letting I feel like I've heard a lot of things that just make me feel like the the companies that are these AI companies are just like letting it go like they don't even seem to care about the what it does or what it's used for it's just kind of like even for the sake of existing like if you were to say okay well maybe we should like pull back on some of these um ai capabilities and like wait and see you know how we can make them better how we can filter through inappropriate images how we can make sure that copyright infringements aren't happening i don't think that they care they don't like even these people getting sued it's like if they have enough money to fight the suit i don't think that they would actually care about it being a detriment to society creatively or otherwise they only care but that's why i was asking like who's using it like are they making money like i don't understand so i why you would be so irresponsible with it i think they see themselves as a public service like it's very in that mode of like we're changing the world and we're the future and i think that's how they can kind of get around like being a non-profit company and also they kind of have to Mm. be a non-profit because there's no way this is profitable yet right like non-profit doesn't mean you just came up with an idea that doesn't make money yet that's not what I thought a nonprofit yeah. was. Was just that you can't make a profit. I thought it was you are effectively helping or providing such a service that the money that would be your profit is distributed throughout the community in some way. Not that you just have an idea that does not make money yet. Because that's like they think that they're like picture Google And that one day they'll just make money off of like ads and stuff. You know what I mean? Like as a business, I'm trying to figure out what you can do is like sometimes if you register as a nonprofit company, you can later change to a for profit company. So like it's possible that they could be a nonprofit while they're doing the research of this oh, wait, and while they're trying freeze? to like make sure everything works and then <laughs> wait you froze oh, for a second Andre repeat what you just said no it's fine so right now they're a nonprofit company and at a later time they could switch to being a for-profit company and essentially what I think they're doing is I think that they are getting away with 
like doing a lot of research and development while they can't make a profit by saying like this is for Mm -hmm. the betterment of society or whatever dumb thing they believe Mm -hmm. and then where they would normally have to like trick an investor into thinking that this was gonna pay off one day and then i think that like once they find a way to make it profitable and once the legality of what they're doing is enshrined then they can switch it to be a for-profit company or they can stay a nonprofit and just continue to pay their top people a lot of money, which is what some nonprofits Mm. do. Um, But I think they only really care about the legality of what they're doing in so much as they're responsible for it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like they don't really care about the morality. They only care about the legality. Like, can we go to jail for this? And they can go to jail for distributing child pornography, which is why they took those data sets down. Right. Like, even if it was grown women being like, hey, this is my face and my boyfriend put me on here, they'd probably be like, wah, wah. We found it on the Internet. But like child. So they're not there. The the researchers, the Stanford researchers are like, there is a bunch of pornographic images in these data sets that were likely taken without the consent of the subjects. And they're like, yeah, we can't really worry about that because it might be legal. It might not. Like, it's just they didn't even bother. And I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure it out. Yeah. Even after taking the child pornography out, they didn't bother with the other pornographic images that were probably mined without consent. So that's like a whole other issue that they're not even dealing with because they're like, well, we probably won't go to jail for that. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of like, yeah, ball, like devil may care about it. So it's just like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm kind of glad that they had the screenshot of that discord chat. Cause that is like one person being like, Hey, this could be a huge problem. And them straight up being like, well, I'm not going to be the first one to ring a bell about it. And I don't, care it really was like, like we're not no worried one about at it. any point seemed particularly concerned like you're saying with anything short of being held responsible i'm not worried about it i'm not worried about um, any of it yeah which is you know what we've come to expect from just businesses in general yeah you know like i have no yeah I ha- I have such low expectations for what people decide to make money off of. I also um, think that there is something about men being desensitized to like how violating on like what's the word I'm looking for? Like not unlicensed, but like revenge porn and stuff like that. Like I think that men are desensitized to pornography and the violation that can exist in non-consensually gathered pornographic images. Um, Mm. I think that if like you're just used to looking at so many bodies that you just don't care. Yeah, I who I mean I anymore. I've seen stories of men like trading images of women they've slept with that are not consent. You know what I mean? Like dudes yeah. in a group chat will be like, "Yeah, I banged this chick," and show like 
her sucking their dick or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that there are a lot of men who don't see a problem with a, a woman being degraded via pornographic images and not feeling mm-hmm. any sort of responsibility or moral responsibility for that. So mm-hmm. I think that there's like another weird like layer of misogyny to this where they're like, well, child porn, we can all agree that that's bad and I could go to jail right. for that. But like, I'm not going to exactly. worry about these images of women that were gathered and where they came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a weird, no, like, that's... I think they just don't feel sensitivity to, to how degrading that is you know what i mean and mm-hmm. like you're saying the, the violation, violation of, of it like, yeah so think yeah like thinking about if you're and i hate to do this because it should just be for any woman in general but like we just said it's not so it's like imagining like your sister being in a relationship with someone and then them breaking up with her and putting her like spread eagle all over the internet yeah and every other dude just being like, well, I don't care. You well, know what I mean? there's also this like, weird like, thing of like, well, she did it or she sent him this photo or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, because you're my boyfriend. And it's like, exactly. The idea that you would try to hold someone accountable on like on the wide span of the Internet to something that they at the time were sending to someone that they cared yeah. about for them to enjoy as an individual is super unfair. Yep. (laughs) It's really Um, gross. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think even to say men and women, because I've had a conversation with like multiple uh, people of all all genders that uh, have admitted to being like desensitized to porn. Like we as a society watch so some of us watch so much porn yeah. that it's like I'm not a fan s- sex don't I don't I that's why I'm speaking as uh someone on the outside of this conversation because it was with a bunch of friends and I don't watch yeah, porn but um we were talking about uh porn and vibrators and like all of these different things that we do that once you were with a real person in front of you makes things not necessarily hit the same Mm. and that was the real discussion we were having is like what these things are doing to the actual interpersonal relationships we have with each other and how it makes them like oh like this is a way more innocent version but like I was playing pool with my dad over Christmas break but he plays pool on his Mm -hmm. iPad so much that when we were playing on a real life pool table, he kept getting frustrated because he couldn't see the angles, see the lines, do all of these things that the the digital screen does for him. Like I'm not joking, oh. you, we could not make three shots without him going. Well, see, in my game, I would be able to see exactly where this is gonna go, and I was like, yeah, you can't. This is real life. Take the shot, like. And that's what it is kind of yeah. with like we're so used to looking at screens and doing all of these things with technology that once you're just in real life with a real analog person, your expectation is so different that it's like not doing it for people anymore. Well, I think it's weird for me, like as a demisexual, to me, sex and love are mixed. Mm-hmm. So I have a really difficult time. Like I don't find porn to be arousing because right. it's like not personal yeah it's just people 
doing a thing that it's almost not like National Geographic, but it's like watching just people mate almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, I I feel like I shouldn't be watching. That's this. like literally how I that's feel. That's how I feel about it. It seems so intrusive to watch two people yeah. do that. <laughs> and I'm not saying like porn is across the board no. like bad or wrong. Because they made it for it people to watch. But in my head, Absolutely. I'm like, oh, I, I like this is like you're saying I equate this with such a level of intimacy that I can't put myself in this place with this person that I don't know and be like, yeah, like I'm also it's so detached from where I am. Yeah, I've I've watched porn twice, and one was a porn called Nalen Palin, which was like a Sarah Palin yeah. parody. Yeah, I, I picked and up I found on it that. to be like <laughs> funnier. Like I was just like, this is bizarre. Like this is yes. absurd yes. and bizarre. Yes. It doesn't. It's not sexually arousing to me. Right. And so I think that like there is like a weird disconnect, and I think that like. I'm pro sex positive. I think if you're a sexual person and you want to have sex with a lot of people and that's cool for you, like absolutely do that. I just think that like what you're saying is this like, you know, there is a danger of being so enmeshed in the digital that the real world doesn't feel real anymore. Right. And you're never going to be able to necessarily match that with yeah, like a live person in front of you that has like that's been like you're saying even having those things be intertwined I think is probably what differentiates like you and I both a little bit from uh ma the masses that enjoy content like this because it's like I've enjoyed videos like that but of someone that I had actually slept with. So it's like, I'm enjoying watching yes. like this guy jerk off, but it's like, I know that dick. Like, and I was even surprised that We've I met. still, I was like, Oh, I actually like this more than I thought I would. But it's because I was like actually thinking of that person as an individual. Yes. And that's like a lot different, but I do think that there's something to be said about, um, where we're moving at such a rapid pace what i'm saying is we're living in wall-e <laughs> i've never seen wall-e is there porn in that movie no I, the premise of wall-e is that everyone leaves earth because we've completely over consumed it mm. and they live on the spaceship and they basically are in these like pods and they literally just like kind of Move, the pods move around in a circle and they have screens and they're enclosed by screens all the time mm. and all of their needs are met and they're they become like these like larvae they just kind of like sit there they don't really do and like anything atrophy into like they're actually all very obese which is like oh. a very bizarre like fat phobic part of wall-e mm -hmm. that we don't discuss enough but it's fine um but no that's yeah, like there's a lot of weird stuff yeah but a lot of um futuristic things that we've created we are in fact unfortunately just hurtling towards it's like we made idiocracy we watched um is it minority report where he wakes up in the room and there's just this whole wall as a screen there's like a black mirror i don't know that one uh, i haven't seen minority there's a lot of films that i have not seen. oh yeah that's fair i 
and I'm like one click above you where I've seen like almost nothing. But it's like we have created so much art that forewarns us of this kind of life. And the fact that we're ignoring the art that we ourselves if, as humans have made have to made. warn ourselves and we're yeah. still just like unregulated flying towards it at like Mach 5, like as fast as AI can possibly go, we are letting it go like almost with reckless abandon is like we can't even learn from ourselves. Like we can't even learn from ourselves 10 years ago. <laughs> I actually saw an article the other day that was like uh, billionaire tech startups need to stop making the technology of dystopian films <laughs> because like that's what we're doing right now yeah. is like these tech investors are like, yeah, what if we did this? And everyone's like, yeah, but remember how that movie ends? <laughs> yeah, it's like. The call's coming from inside the house at this point. Like, we can't. Remember how genetic testing it would led be... to, like, you know, weird super babies and, like, weird strata of society based on your genetics and not your actual abilities? Like, there's just weird shit. I mean, I don't. There's so much. Like I said, there's so much just being let loose right now that I really wish people cared. I was going to say pay attention to, but there are people that are paying attention to it. They're just being ignored. There's just get Jeff Goldblum's of AI everywhere. I'm sure <laughs> just being like hushed down and told that their ideas would slow down the process or make them less money or just be too yeah. much of a bother. It's like, Hey guys, so about that child pornography, shh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Exactly. It's fine. Like, we did our best. Don't worry about it. It's like, did you, by our best, we mean nothing because we're. <laughs> hey guys, so I think these velociraptors, shh, and, shh, shh, and they just shh, keep being in charge. Like they keep somehow being the people that. It is funny because, like, I know in the future someone is going to make an actual Jurassic Park based on Jurassic Park, completely forgetting everything we learned in the film. Like, the whole point of the film is, like, this is a bad idea. And they're going to be like, wasn't it cool that the dinosaurs were alive? And then we'll just be like, wait, what? Oh, my gosh. It's so frustrating. Um so we'll do one that I did um, from our first recording and Fantastic. then um, maybe one more. But okay. we wanted to bring this one back because it ties into a past actual episode that we did uh, that uh, Jordan did on um, Yuyoi Kusama because Yuyoi uh, recently had a show at the San Francisco Museum of Modern, Modern Art open and before that opening um a lot of her past writings were kind of brought under scrutiny so the first I'm going to talk about a few articles but the first one the title is Yoyoi Kusama apologizes as her previous racist writing surfaced clouding her new San Francisco Museum show so um, 
I'll start with Yoy. She just says, uh, I deeply regret the hurtful and off- offensive language in my book. So hypoallergic re- has problematic references to black people. And in 1945 to now, which was released in 2023, there was a mention of a quote, wild looking Harry Cole Black Savage. Wow. And that's from her <laughs> script in a 1971 play. So I think the original is from the play, but it got repeated somehow in the 1945 to now. Um, and then there are also some comments in her 1984 novel, The Hustler's Grotto of Christopher Street, where she basically blames uh, black people for uh, the crime in the area of New York that she lived in at the time, as well as like drug addicts and stuff, which we discussed as um, kind of a popular opinion of the time. Um, Absolutely. If you were watching the news in 1986 in Ohio, they're talking about black people and crime in New York. You know what I mean? Like, it, there is this sort of there is a stereotyped right. language to the media of the day that right. was racist um and she also in her 2002 autobiography infinity net described black people as quote primitive hypersexualized beings um so yeah Yikes. there's uh there's a couple of like we said different uh quotes that people have pulled to kind of be like why are you uh having a brand new show with this woman but that was kind of what we were discussing and not necessarily um giving her a pass by any means but also acknowledging that this woman is in her 90s and has been living in a like I guess what you would call like a open psych ward um, for the past however many years of her life, like at least a couple decades and just what her. I want to say it was at least 20 yeah, years. right? Um, and just kind of discussing what her frame of reference would be going through time um, and not to. Uh, oh, here's the last one. In a sentence omit. Oh, and this is what we discussed last time too. Was this sentence was omitted from the English translation, but present in the original Japanese edition? Um, she, I just fact check us. She's been living in a psychiatric facility since nineteen. Wow. Yeah. So that was what we were talking so for about. Almost. 50 so like she years. basically moved to New York. Got like you were saying, Andrea, a probably bias view of what was going going on around her for a short amount of time before she went back home and was institutionalized for the next three decades and left to kind of do her art but also be under you know observation um yeah she's I think that she is like a specific case where I would say she's quite out of touch yes with the reality of the world not only because of her severe mental illness but because of her isolation and also the isolationism of japan generally like japan is a very monocultural place like uh, most people in japan are japanese 
Right. And there is racism and has been racism in the past in Japan against literally anyone who's not Japanese. And that includes Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean, you know, people from kind of other other states or uh, countries, even if they're Mm -hmm. just right across the ocean. So Mm -hmm. there is a lot of racism in Japan culturally or there has been at the time that Yoyoi was living in the society and not being isolated Right. Um, things have changed somewhat, but, you know, even I had a roommate in 2007 who had lived in Japan for the year before and she's a white person. And she said that like being on the train, she was, people would touch her. People wanted to touch her hair. They were curious about her. And obviously when you factor in a lot of the negative racial stereotypes of black people and right. you're, you know what I mean? Like they're not really experiencing or seeing a lot of black people they're only hearing the things through other media and right. then she like lived in new york it's like oh right so yeah when she, she says. <laughs> right when she lived in greenwich village she said that it had become quote a slum thanks to quote black people shooting each other out front and homeless people sleeping there so that was in the 70s, right before, probably like eight years before she was committed again. Because did you say 79? Did 77. I make that up? 77. So yeah, that was like six years maybe before she ended up being um, committed until today's date. And that, you have to remember too, so like the, the, a lot of the like, the civil rights movement wasn't passed until, was it 67 or 69? I mean, I should know, but I don't. Um, so, I mean, like, she's living, like, five years after the civil rights movement was passed. And there's still so much racial inequality oh, yeah. and economic yeah. disadvantage for black yeah. people, especially. I mean, Absolutely. which continues to this day. I was about to say, and this is before, uh, <clears throat> like, you're saying we're right in the thick of a lot of stuff that's... Uh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Like she didn't even, it's not like she um, was institutionalized right before things got good. Like we haven't even gotten to the crack Reagan yet and, or yeah. any exactly. That's Absolutely. exactly what I was thinking about. So I kind of feel the same way about you. the way I feel about Kanye, which is like, how so like, they're, they're saying some messed up stuff. They do some crazy things, but like they legitimately are mentally ill. And so mm-hmm. I feel like there is sort of not like they have a past, but also just like maybe I shouldn't be taking the ideas of someone who has a very clear mental illness mm-hmm. with the same grain of salt. You know what I mean? Like, There's a lot, I'm not saying mental illness excuses behavior, but Mm -hmm. I think that mental illness can be, when you understand that someone is suffering from a mental illness or a mental disability, you can Mm -hmm. take less personally the harmful things that they say because Mm -hmm. you understand that it's about them and their perception of the world and it's not really about you, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Whereas, like, we might expect someone who has not been institutionalized for 40 years to be aware, to grow, to be more empathetic. But someone who is, like, very clearly suffering a mental illness 
I just feel like you have to be like, hey, I'm not going to read her book. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I can enjoy her art. It's very Instagrammable. It's very pretty. But like, I don't need to hear her thoughts necessarily on black people. Very well could be the rantings of someone that has a lot of other things going on in their head that like skew their reality kind of thing. But it's like, I don't even, I don't even know about that. Cause it's like the things that like, like we were saying more before it's like, that was like that last comment about Greenwich village. Like anybody could have said that at the time. Yeah. Like there's not like even the things that, um, I'm sure a lot of white people said that at the time. Yeah. And yeah. It, even if she was just like regurgitating it, it's not necessarily something that reaches any level of like paranoia or delusion that it wouldn't be taken as just your regular ass opinion. Yeah. Um, but I understand what you're saying about that person's frame of reference, their, you know, the information they've been allowed to take in um, and any kind of isolation. But I don't know if all of that, I feel like, yeah, I don't even want to get into that and like release it. But like Kanye has been saying shit like this for years. Adidas just kept giving him more and more money and like, so it's like, And I want to say that's the thing is like a lot of these things like the in the 80s, I'll give you she had already been in for like a decade. But it's like you were just out in the world learning about America. And that was kind of what you thought at the time. Like it didn't have to do with your specific illness and your visions or what you see. Like that could have literally just been what you thought. Absolutely. And you just thought some racist ass shit um, as opposed to it being a part of uh any kind of delusion where you think people are like, I see what if, you're like, saying uh like it's not like you think people are out to get you and so this came from any kind yeah, of thing it's like I see what you're saying you have visual delusions that cause you depression and also you said some racist ass shit in the 70s and those two things kind of aren't connected I see what you're saying I see you're saying essentially like her racist statements are not a direct result of her mental illness and therefore right. we need to take them in a different way than maybe someone like what Kanye has been saying. Where it's like you could actually be having paranoid yeah, yeah, delusions. Yeah. yeah. I think what I'm saying is like because she's been so isolated because of her mental illness, she has not had the opportunity to... <sighs> Grow, grow from outside okay. of this like small very racist time in american history that she was a part of I totally so i think that's what that. i'm saying Got is it. like if it's your grandma and she's just here and she and she just got blast from the past put in a time yes, capsule and she's just for like 30 years if it's i got you let's Pull a closer example. Someone like my mother. And she says something like, I hope mm-hmm. you don't date any more brown people. She's met mm-hmm. the brown people I've dated. They've been pretty great. That's just racist. You know what I mean? Like, hey, <laughs> no, you've I understand. been around no. black people. You have black people supposedly as your quote unquote friends. And you're saying some racist shit. 
you have accountability right. for that because you're in the world. Yeah. You're seeing people and you're choosing not to humanize the people around you who look different from you. Whereas for mm-hmm. Yoyoya, I'm like, she's been so isolated. I think that she has not had mm-hmm. an opportunity to have uncomfortable conversations about race or to meet people who are different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she's just been in this bubble where she is not part of the world because of being isolated due to her mental illness. So I think that is like where it's different for me. Whereas I'm like, you're going to work every day. You see people every day. You're hearing things. I got you. You, I've explained Tulsa to you. Like (laughs) she hasn't been, uh, yes, not your mom. (laughs) Yoyoy has not been privy to any kind of like gradual education yes. growth and experience experiences that would make her, all those yes. things and she still apologized she said um and this was from october of this year she said my message has always been one of love hope compassion and respect for all people my lifelong intention has been to lift up humanity through my art i apologize for the pain i have caused so um because she also at one point said that she found black people quote exotic and that um and just like a lot of things that like you're saying there are some other things that uh like you're saying are just didn't age well you know what yeah. i mean like we've talked about you're reprinting um, something Marina she Bramovic wrote had 50 years ago 40 years ago you know right. what i mean and then we're like, that was pretty fucked up. And it's like, we should rewind things that Joe Biden has said because whew, it's pretty fucked up. Right. And it, I mean, here's the thing. Any. Yeah. A lot of people like, have said a lot of fucked up. If you've been alive since the 60s, you've said some fucked up shit. Probably. Or if and if you didn't, you're probably dead because you were too forward thinking and they got rid of you. (laughs) Like if you don't. Bernie is Um, like the only person. Bernie. It's like Bernie, Betty White. That's it. That's my whole list of white people that were like on the right side the whole time. And And still still, alive. No, R.I.P. Betty White. But yeah, they're. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Betty. Uh, R.I.P. But no, like anybody who a lot of people that were like actively trying to be like this is wrong and i know it for a fact did not make it um but that was another thing that kind of brought all this up to the surface was in 2017 uh a vice writer who happened to be a black male was banned from her studio this was in 2017 but i feel like it just like fanned like once her art show in october um came out this is just one of the you know what i mean more recent articles that comes up and the title is literally uh yoy kusama banned us from her studio which i will give it a grain of salt because it's vice and vice loves to be vicey about stuff um but uh basically they went in with a camera crew everything had been planned Okay. Um, they were going to do a sit down pr- in her private studio for a more in depth interview. Um, he was told that he could speak to her, but that it should be brief. Okay, so he says I asked her a couple of introductory questions in Japanese. 
um, to tell me one piece in her museum she wanted visitors to pay attention to and to also tell me about the title and meaning of the painting that was on the wall next to them. She answered those questions and then said she'd rather not answer any more. I thanked her. We bowed to each other and I left. Um, a few hours later, we received an angry email from the head of her PR company um, and was told... Uh, my producer called to ask what was wrong and was told that Kusama had not been aware I was going to talk to her and that the questions were, quote, low quality. Uh, the company insisted I not speak to her again and any further coverage would proceed only on the condition that I wouldn't be physically present. I was no longer allowed in the room. Weird. Um, Right. So here's the thing. I feel like he kind of put this out as like, was it because I'm black? I don't know. But it was weird. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, it was definitely weird. And then that's kind of how they lead into talking about the things that she said in her 2002 biography where she marvels at, quote, black people's distinctive smell and animalistic sex techniques. What? Uh, she recalls. Yikes. Yeah. When the de the defense oh, for God. these writings were that she also in, in the same writing in 2002 spoke to other races in this like sexual physical way. Um, but she That's recalls so bizarre because she's not like, how is she aware of the sexuality of people that she's not in direct contact with? I mean, it's so bizarre. Yeah. This isn't her. Well, this is in her autobiography. So I'm guessing this is from memory. And she recalls using naked black men in her own performance are apparently for visual effect, describing their lips and genitalia in detail. That's insane. Um, so they kind of are saying like, look, we got kicked out. I can't really put my finger on it. Yes. I, she could have just been having a bad day mentally, but like we weren't really given that as an, as a reason. Yeah. Um, and he says, Overall, it's a pattern that reflects an uncritical and unimagin unimaginative acceptance of mainstream American racism. It also leaves me wondering if my own blackness might have played some role in Kusama's assumption that I did not understand her art and was thus unfit to interview her. Mm. Um, so this is like the most recent potential um, transgression racially that people were kind of grabbing at. And it's from yeah. 2017. Um, but people kind of when the San Francisco art show came up were like, hey, remember all of these individual instances that kind of make you, you know, at least tilt your head to the side kind of thing. But, yeah, she's been in a psychiatric hospital for the past 40 years and has been known to cut interviews short before. Um, but he still says something about my appearance, I, manner, or speech may have made her uncomfortable. And though I've yeah. never had trouble communicating in other Japanese interviews, um, my foreign accent may have given her difficulty understanding me. Like he's trying to, you know, be objective, right, while still acknowledging Give her the benefit that, of the like, doubt. It, yeah. Like you said, it ended weird. Um, but that is from the vice interview think, by Dexter Thomas on October of 2017. I think it's weird because she's racist, right? Like she said a lot of really racist things. Her beliefs are definitely racist. But I also think that when someone's whole deal is that they suffer mm -hmm. an acute mental illness and that is what makes mm -hmm. them interesting as an artist, that is 
why yeah. we want to put them under the lens and like understand about their process and what makes it so unique and this and that. Like I've seen people who make work like Yoyoi Kusama who do not mm. suffer from mental illness and it is mm-hmm. not getting the kind of attention that her work is getting. Mm. I think her work gets the attention it gets because she suffers from mental illness because there is yep. this sort of like aura of she's so weird and like edgy and unique and she's suffering from these hallucinations and whatever. Right. All this exists as something that someone, even if that is the genuine backstory is that you're looking at something that is representative of what she sees all the time, like kind of putting yourself in a place where, like you're saying, even other artists that do things similar that are like, oh, this looks cool, but you aren't able to look at it and be like, imagine if the whole world looked like this to you all the time. And that being a very important part of it, that is valid. Um, but also she's still racist, like you're saying, just the acknowledgement. Yeah. And that's kind of where the museum's current director, Christopher Bedford, whenever it came up, you know, why are you having a show with this woman who's been quoted as saying all of these, you know, problematic things? He kind of said, um, he wants to use this as a springboard for things that he alluded to that the museum will do next year, where, he wants to basically show art by artists while still being very transparent about who they are as people. Um, And he says, a longer term goal was to develop interpretive materials for the public about the difficult relationships between maker and object. I think the truer answer is that they've invested so much money in artists like Yoyoi Kusama and Pablo Picasso that institutions have decided that their work is worth so much money that to stop showing it and mm. to say these people are racist these this person is a like Pablo Picasso raped women like to say like we're not going to show his work because mm-hmm. he was a rapist and we're going to change the narrative of all of art mm-hmm. history would potentially devalue the work that they have invested so much money into and I think at the end of the day, that's mm. what it's really about. Wow. That they they're can't, just gonna, they, they can't stop showing it. This is their only option is to lean into the reality that we know and try to make that in itself yes. a new take of like, um, because he says what we are charged with is Uh, What we are charged with doing is collecting, displaying, and interpreting artists in all their complexity. Like everyone else, they are flawed. And the profound effort is not to delete or edit or cancel people. The effort is to reckon with them fully and with truth. And, but you're saying. Yeah. That's like. To, you can only be so. That quote can only sound but so honorable because you're making so much money off these millions of dollars of art made by the people that you're saying are flawed at the end of the day people still want to go visit yoyoi's infinity room they want to go take an instagram picture in her yellow room yeah they the museums profit from people coming to see this work they've invested Mm -hmm. so much money into this work they can't stop showing it 
I think that is what is so problematic about the art industry, all art industries, not just fine art, music, comedy, all of these industries. There are artists who we laud for their work who are not good people. And the problem is that once you get into millions of dollars and you've invested so much into putting these people on a pedestal to chip away at the pedestal because they've done something bad or illegal or unkind Mm. that hurts someone else isn't an option. It's not an option. It's too late. You've invested too much. Yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's like people who, <laughs> it's like people who marry someone wealthy, and then they're like, "Well, I just have to kill them because, like, I can't stay married to them, and I don't have any other skills, and like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's, you're in too deep. You're in like, too deep. Not, yeah. You've made your no, bed, I and I think that really is what it comes down to when it comes to problematic artists. Is that like? I think once we start investing so much into artists, we can't have them be problematic, no matter how problematic they really are. Mm -hmm. Like for me, when I, Louis C.K. used to be one of my favorite comedians. And when I found out what he did, I can't listen to his stand-up anymore. I can't watch his show anymore. It makes me too upset. It makes me too Mm -hmm. sad. And that, I think, also is something that, is a case by case basis. And I wonder if the people on the other who don't have that reaction are constantly rejecting it or if they really are like, I also have to believe that there are people that just don't care. Like I have to believe that there are people that are are like, even about Picasso being like, Oh, Picasso was a rapist. And they're just like, yeah, it was for honestly the statute of limitations on me caring about those raped women aged out like a hundred years ago. I don't like they just don't care enough to hold yeah. his work itself accountable. Um, and, yes, and I think that's like the real like. I know I I talked a lot about like you always suffers from a mental illness. Clearly, mm-hmm. this is what it's about. Like, yeah, I that I want to make it clear that that is me trying to understand how she might have gotten there mm-hmm. in a charitable way and not me yeah. excusing racism. <laughs> I want to make that very clear. What she said was racist for sure. Um, well, it's like if somebody if I and this happens a lot. It's like if you see someone who is unwell on the street, like ranting, but then when I walk by their rant, all of a sudden has the N word in it. It's like, that's somewhere in their head. I got like, that didn't just randomly come out. Like something like you are not well. Absolutely. That is a hundred percent fact. But also you looked at me and some part of your brain said, you know what I mean? Something hateful. I got accused of killing Martin Luther King once by someone who is very unwell. I also was Uh accused of killing JFK. I was not alive when either of those. You were busy. I'm going to just say, hey, wasn't around yet. Just to be clear, (laughs) that's my alibi. Not yet born. Um, But sometimes people who are unwell say things that are bananas and you just go, they're unwell. (laughs) Yeah. And you walk away. Maybe you don't give them a shoe deal, but like... (laughs) There's can, a line. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's, um, like we're saying, just because, and I guess that's where some people are coming from that like, like you're saying, there are like rebuttal articles that are like, she's way too old to be held to this kind of standard. Um, you know, I don't agree with the old th- thing. I really, for yeah. me, it's just mental illness. Betty White right. was a badass bitch. When my grandma heard right. someone, I have two grandmas, obviously, on my dad's side, less racist. Way to brag. Uh, when my grandma heard someone use the N-word in a joke, she berated that man. Like, uh-huh. she was an old lady, and she died before I was born, and she wasn't racist. So, like. <laughs> like, it's possible. It's possible. It's really about your compassion and your willingness to see other people as human beings. I don't think age is an excuse mm-hmm. for those ideas. Yeah. And that you know was I mean? that was one that was kind of brought up was like, why are we which I think that comes up, you know, anytime there's someone that's like hypersensitive to quote cancel culture is like, why would you come after this 80 year old woman for stuff that she said in the seventies? And it's like, because she's still making art and making money right now. That's why Yeah, she's still yes. here and able to, um, not necessarily atone for anything, but like you're saying at the very least acknowledge on some level, um, things that she said in the past and what they, feel like to black people who yeah. may be a fan of her art you know what I mean it's like yeah even to that's the I feel like part. we've spoken a lot about you know just in general things that people say that aren't cool but it's like as a black person it's not fun to love someone's art and then feel like they would see you on the street and like not want to not be nice exactly it's like yeah. why do I want to support the art and work of people who think less of me And I think that's something that people like want to say, like, oh, people are so sensitive. It's like, no, you just also at the end of the day, don't want to super fuck with someone that would not fuck with you, even if that's, I don't know, petty or something. But it's like, yeah, no, Um, I yeah, I think, too, like it's I think about this as a woman all the time is like the only real way that I know how to support artists who I know are not misogynistic is to buy art from women. Mm. And like, and you can't even say that. You You could on a a large scale, but like, nope, not everybody. Exactly. But I think that in some ways, like the only way to, I mean, like, I think that's why it's so important to support black artists and to, allow them to have voices and to allow them to make work and to buy their work is like when you buy work from a black artist, you're at least buying art from someone who's not racist against black people at the very, again, can't at even the say very that. Least. You can't even say that if like Ben Carson started painting Shen tomorrow, Lee. is that who I'm thinking of? If Clarence Tar- Thomas started painting tomorrow, it would be like, yeah, not the one it is weird, it's like well self-hatred well you saying that made me think like the another thing is like small businesses in general regardless of if it's a person of color a woman whatever it is if it's a small business it's someone that you on some level personally are like yeah i want to give this person and their family money to live off of yeah you don't have to know the intricate ins and outs of every opinion of everyone that you buy stuff from but there is a 
feeling to buying from small businesses where you feel like you are giving money to individuals that you care about and that you like giving them as an individual or a unit, like a family unit money? Yes. As So as a small business, I will say my sweet spot that I found, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I have three people that I work with really closely that I love doing business with. One is my friend Meg who runs Colorado Glassworks. She's a woman-owned business. She employs other women. I know about her beliefs and values. I align with her beliefs and values. Like I love working with her. Great to work with. Also ADHD. Another one is the Ted Ellison, the glass studio I work with. Great to work with. Also a very liberal person with ADHD. And then my friend Deanna who runs Hilarious Humanitarian. Also a woman who has ADHD. But I know that like the way they treat their employees is good. I know that people are paid fairly. I know that people, you know what I mean? Like I'm working with people that I trust their beliefs and values and our beliefs and values align. Mm. And I know when I work with them that like they care Mm -hmm. about a lot of the things I care Mm -hmm. about. So it's like it makes it easier to work with them. Yeah. But yeah, if you don't know people personally, I think that's the weird thing about celebrity in general. Is like if you don't know someone personally, you don't know if their beliefs and values align with yours. And if you're giving money to them, you don't know know if you're giving money. The public side of them that they have very intentionally let you know about. Um, Oh my God. Yes. But yeah, so uh, Yoyoi's up in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art right now, and Bedford kind of alluded to. Um, uh, a program slated for early next year that's aimed at addressing the work of artists with quote problematic histories so excited to see what that's about and how much it aligns with everything that Ooh. Andrea has shed light on in terms of their bottom line and kind of even if it's dun, dun, dun. which I hadn't really thought about because I think I was just uh, wanting to search for any kind of like actual um, acknowledgement of what, you know what I mean? You always pass comments and everything that I was just kind of like, okay, well at least they kind of admitted it, but you're right. They also, it's a spin. Yeah. It's always about money. Follow the money. It's, I mean, even the AI stuff, like at the end of the day, it's about how can we make money? How can we put out this thing? It's always about like Mm -hmm. capitalism is the root of a lot of evil. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, they don't care. They're like, ah, we'll use prison labor to pack sandwiches. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I feel like that discord comment from the beginning of the AI is like a perfect example of what we've, what what a lot of this goes back to is like it's not that there isn't someone pointing that out it's just that every time we on a grand scale have been met with the choice to like do what's right or do what makes money we have never chosen what's right i don't think ever never that's why laws exist because you have to yeah. say this or, is illegal and people can't still have child will, labor if and they they'll like still do it. they um they did the numbers and decided that they could pay off everyone that blew up in a pinto and it would cost less than the 11 cents a car would have taken to fix it. So they chose to let people blow up. It's like we've been it, yeah. we've never 
when we never make a good choice if capitalism is the choice you know what i mean like because those people didn't unless someone goes to jail the decision that is good for people they got there by making the decisions that make the most money so why would you have all of that behavior be rewarded and then all of a sudden switch things up and be like you know what let's actually try to do what's right this time just for shits and gigs like absolutely not they're gonna (laughs) yeah so that kind of leads well into my last one which is uh members of the brooklyn museum union ratified their first contract um in november fuck yeah Yeah. we love it um, we love a union Maida Rosenstein was one of the chief negotiators. Oh, this is from, what is this from? This is from art newspaper. Um, Like literally the art newspaper. Who wrote it though? It doesn't have a byline. Oh, here we go. By Ani Irish. Oh, that's a um, great name. I know, right? Uh, So Maida Rosenstein, who was one of the chief negotiators. Oh, okay. So she was one of the negotiators, but she's also the director of the UAW. That's why I was like, wait, why are we talking about the auto workers all of a sudden? She's just like moving and shaking, baby. That's what it is. Yeah. She's a union baby. What what probably happened is because they formed a new union, they probably needed help. Yep. They were like, like, we've never like, how how do I I union? union? Um, so How do I do a union? That's why. So she came in to help out, which is awesome. But um, the Brooklyn Museum local represents roughly 130 full-time and part-time workers across departments, including conservation, education, and visitor services. Um, and the negotiation was described as, quote, very intense. The agreement will bolster sal- salaries and invest in staff professional development, which is great. Um and Lauren awesome. Bradley, an associate conservator who has worked at the museum for more than eight years, said this contract will lay a solid foundation for building long term professional careers at the museum, which we've talked so much about, like docents talk so much and about. like how like <laughs> all of the people that are in museums are basically whoever can afford to not make Volunteers. a living wage anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And that is all I've been thinking about this whole sentence is like yeah make working with art in a museum something that you can actually not even be crazy lucrative like literally just live off of because you love art and we see it as something valued enough to pay people just to eat like you don't have to be a millionaire just like that loving art is seen as valuable enough in our society to warrant survival um the real issue for me is like if you can spend millions of dollars to acquire this artwork mm. you can acquire one less artwork a year mm. and you can pay your workers a fair wage give them health benefits like if you're if you're saying uh, this is the issue in America with like nonprofits a lot of times is they do not pay people well they do not offer health care incentives and they burn people out yep. people who want to do good yep. people who want to be part of their community cannot do that because they get so burnt out from nonprofit. I've tried work. to do social media for nonprofits that you have like you said you have to basically volunteer. Um, yeah, and then you're working for free and then it's like, okay, well, I also need money. Yep. So and this is a full-time job. Yep. So what am I supposed to do? Right. It's not that it's um nonprofit because it takes some little amount of time and resources. It actually takes a lot of them. But um the yeah. new the new contract 
um, increases, includes a pay increase of over 23% over the course of its three-year lifespan, as well as a raise in minimum pay rates and guaranteed annual increases. This includes a pay raise of $22 an hour for front-of-house workers and a $1 increase that is scheduled for each uh, uh, January 1st through 2025. So they're starting at 23 an hour? Uh, they're starting at 22, at, but it's retroactive from the beginning of 2023 and then a dollar for every year after that. So in 2024, they'll earn their own. They will earn $23 an hour. And this is in New York? Yes, this is the Brooklyn Museum. That's still not a lot of money. No. And that's what they had. To, this was a very tense argument to get them to that. So I mean, that's still like. What? How much does your apartment cost? Oh yeah, not that. I make. I you make, know what I mean. Like, I make double that an hour, and I almost and I am dirt poor. <laughs> like in terms yeah, of like buy. That's myself. what I'm saying. Yeah, like, like it's still not a lot of money. And the fact that they had to like fight tooth and nail yeah, for that. They is basically crazy. they basically had to fight for a wage that gets you like two other roommates. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, oh, full and part-time staffers in less public-facing roles will also see their pay increase on a percentage schedule. Um, they are sk- slated for a 5% increase this year, a 4% increase next year, and a 3% increase in 2025. So, it, um, And they will additionally be rewarded bonuses of uh, $500 to $3,000, depending on, um, I guess, like their position and like whether they're part-time or full-time. So Rosenstein said this agreement is going to make a real difference in terms of boosting pay and giving people rights in the workplace that create a situation where employment at the Brooklyn Museum will be more sustainable for long-term careers. Um, it's been a long time and we think it's a good contract and we're very yeah. excited about moving forward in the next step. Uh, the con- That would still be like a good starting role if you got your like art history degree or something. That's what I was thinking if you were like younger, like starting out college, you know. Yeah. Um, But is it going? You know what I mean? Like, which we're still talking about a a stage in life where you may or may not be getting more financial assistance from either grants or your parents or whatever, hopefully. Honestly, hopefully, like when I was in college, I worked God. part time, but my mom was constantly telling me that my job was to graduate. Like you're yeah. 18. Everything that we know about like frontal lobe development and everything else is like, yeah, stop riding 18 year olds dicks to support themselves. They're, they're barely children. like they're still they're kids. Exactly. Trying. Like, yeah. In terms of decision making everything. It's like, no, like anyone who's was 18 at least five years ago should know damn well that they shouldn't expect that much from an 18 year old like you if you were at least five years out from being 18 you should be able to look back and be like yeah that person was an idiot and you shouldn't be expected to do some of the things or be as um self-aware as we expect some 18 year olds to be in terms of like what kind of human you're going to be for the rest of your adult life um yeah, our brains aren't even done developing until we're exactly. 25. And right. actually, like, you're not you done have, wrinkling yet. <laughs> if you have ADHD or if you're neurodivergent, your brain actually takes longer to mature. Mm-hmm. Just a fun fact. I so, mean, I could tell that just from like 
human experience. But yeah, Same. that that, <laughs> that shit adds up. And I didn't mean it with you. Also, that's longer. very funny. I'm like, yeah, I know. We've hung out. Burn. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, no, but that totally adds up. Uh, so the contract reduces the employee share of healthcare premium costs, expands eligibility for healthcare benefits to part-time staff averaging 20 hours a week and establishes an annual $50,000 fund for professional development. Um, other benefits of the new contract include creating a joint labor management committee uh, and layoff protection and extra pay for workers who take on extra work when a position is unfilled. Like all of these are great. I would have loved to been at a corporate job where extra pay was taken on when positions are unfilled because they'll let you do two jobs for like years without that's, hiring someone else. Like that might be friends, something that a lot of people argue for. One of my friends quit a job because there, there was, it was a three person crew and the director quit. And so she was doing the director's role, her own role. And for over a year. And then when she applied for the director role, she didn't get it. And she was like, I can't, I'm quitting. Like they won't. Yup. Fuck this. (laughs) Yup. And it's like, that's where we're at with, you know, it's up to whoever is in charge to value you as a person and care. And a lot of those people making decisions have never met you and are just looking at a piece of paper to see how they can save even more money because this entire system is set up for businesses to ultimately fail because you can't constantly make more money than you did the year or month before. And this is a socialist podcast. I'm I'm so, (laughs) (laughs) and that's why it's ending. Uh, Yeah. We're being (laughs) because socialism always fails. No, I'm Um, joking. It's great in France. I wish we had it here. Like you're saying, there's art that's worth millions of dollars, but that somehow does not translate to, the artist creating what will be the million dollar pieces of tomorrow. Like we do not real time value art or what it does for people or our brains or humanity as like a gift like that somehow is completely overseen until you're at a Sotheby's. And I don't understand how that happens, but it's so weird that because through capitalism, we view art as an investment. Mm -hmm. And so it's weird that we sort of uphold the work of dead artists so far beyond how much we uphold the work of living artists. Yeah. Because... Why? <laughs> because then the dudes who invested millions of dollars to buy a Picasso, if we stopped showing those Picassos, they wouldn't get their money back. And it's like, who cares? Those rich dudes care. <laughs> the rich dudes care and the rich wives who are sit on the board care. You know what I mean? Like, Right. You, uh, museum directors are often wealthy benefactors or people that are supporting the museum in some way and so it's mm-hmm. their money and so like there's uh, it mm-hmm. really is follow the money like i hate to be a conspiracy theorist yeah. but when you understand the inner workings of these organizations and you understand like well so and so my friend invested in this picasso and i think it would be a great acquisition for our, our collection or whatever then you can't post all those paintings and be like, and also Picasso raped a bunch of women because then how are you going to get people to come to the show? How are you going to mm. make back your money? 
from renting. Mm-hmm. A lot of times museums will like rent pieces for a show. They're not actually buying them. So they're renting right. the piece from so someone's no one private wants collection. So that you own. Yeah. So like there's a lot of like money that goes into silencing the voices of people who are like, hey, he was a rapist or like, hey, she's racist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because if you are like, well, we're going to do the right thing and take this work down. But you already spent all this money. You're kind of fucked. Mm. or and they're not gonna ever eat that yeah they're never gonna just or just look at it themselves because it's like okay you own the picasso you only own that picasso to make money off of it not to enjoy it yeah i guess because even at this when you get to that level that's what a lot of art is it's investment it's not it's Mm -hmm. not about the art itself anymore it's about the investment Mm mm-hmm Right. And the status from owning a Picasso or, you know what I mean? Like it becomes status in the way that, I don't know, Prada is. Is that a status symbol still? I don't know what luxury brands are doing. I'm not in the know. I mean, yeah, it's still a luxury brand. We'll take it. Sure. <laughs> um, Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a cyclical bummer. It but is. I'm really glad that that union exists now and hopefully other museums and artists and appreciators of art that aren't so rich that they just do it as a hobby will continue to follow in the footsteps of the Brooklyn Museum. Yeah, we love it. I love a good union. I hope they make more money. I hope they break that union contract and ask for more after inflation's over. So, yeah. That would be a ama- like imagine being able to work at a museum and live. Imagine <laughs> if you could just like Katrina, like, you're asking the impossible. You because you've worked at a museum part time before. You know, what I, I have mean? not. It's I've like, worked at um, I've worked at galleries. Oh, a part-time. gallery. A gallery That's is different because okay. they're for profit. Oh, I feel like you're going to pull a childish Gambino and like you're going to get famous for being a comedian and they're going to be like and then I also draw and then you're going to start you know what I mean like once you become rich enough you could do anything no you want. that's very true I'll be I'll I'll illustrate the way Seth Rogen makes pottery um or have you seen Terry Crews draw oh no. my god Terry, Terry, Terry Crews is draws. an amazing artist He's an incredible artist. He actually wanted, so Terry Crews, I listen to so many podcasts. He has a great episode on Neil Brennan's podcast called Blocks. Uh. But he wanted to go to school for art, but he grew up really poor. And so he was like, the only way I can get a scholarship to go to college is if I go for football. Mm, And so he literally did football just to get a degree essentially Uh i mean yeah like he really was like i still want to be an artist in my heart he's an incredible artist what really good at drawing like he's like artists like i would have guessed he went to art school and i think he did for a short period of time before he got his football scholarship so there's like a whole thing it was really interesting but he can draw really well and then he's like once he was in football he's like well then the next step like to transition out of this is to be an actor wow so he's just like this insanely well-rounded talented person so realistically that's what i'm saying he's so good at drawing 
there's all these bits on Brooklyn Nine-Nine where he like drew people and he really can draw that well. Oh my god! So it's not just a bit that he really is good at drawing. But also that's just such a that like little short version of his story is absolutely like um you know a black man in America using his physical prowess because that's what people value and gets you yeah. money and just kind of going like just even as an actor his physicality was what got him jobs was being this like big buff you know crazy dude um and just using that to his advantage if you look at childish gambino he started off as a stand-up did writing released the stand-up special that's great yeah he did a did great one, stand-up special as it. donald glover uh-huh. crushed it Worked on community, quit community to write for um, 30 Rock, Mm -hmm. then quit 30 Rock at its peak, like when he was making lots of money and his parents are like, don't quit. Mm -hmm. You have a job. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Quit 30 Rock to release a rap album Mm -hmm. and then became famous. Enough to live on a farm or whatever he's doing now. Yeah. Like if you could... If they weren't intertwined, because I feel like it's a numbers game where you need more people to know who you are to make more money just because you can't take 10 grand from five people that like you. So yeah. like you need more people and that in itself creates celebrity based on numbers alone. Like if you could make that yes. much money off of that many people knowing you and never be recognized you would still want it. Yeah. Right. That's what I talk about stand-up. There are people that want to do stand-up, and then there are people that want to be famous. And they will tell you, I want to be famous. And that means it doesn't matter what I do. I would want the money I'll tell jokes. I'll act. I'll stand on, uh, like, balance a balloon on my nose. Like, I don't care. Whatever it takes for me to be famous as opposed to I want to be a good stand-up, which can happen without you ever being famous. It is weird to like when you know artists at their artist point mm-hmm. and then you just like know they're talented and then you also know they might never be famous. It's, yep. it's really weird. I mean, I'm kind of okay with that because like we said in so many different ways during this podcast it's like a lot of stuff isn't truly appreciated until people realize they can't get any more of it so yeah damn that's real um but yeah so that's our <laughs> anyway, last episode that for a while <laughs> that's the last and our point of this is tell people about us make us famous so that we can bring this podcast back possibly so that we can um, do horrible things with no re- repercussions is that the no yeah, i'm or joking recourse either one i think recourse repercussions <laughs> yeah 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 no i'm joking i won't do horrible things um probably hopefully god i hope not i hope the money here's the thing keep following us if for no other reason than to see if the money changes andrea um <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah so look out for andrea on liquid death in january (laughs) thank you all so much for listening to one or five or all of our episodes um this podcast in itself was kind of a gift to me artistically um i came in 
with I've like, grown so much from this show and yeah. like I love having your voice and Jordan's voice and like your opinions and like I don't know I love the way you guys both see the world and I loved doing this with you yeah and you both taught me so much about like as someone coming in with like this huge chip on my shoulder of like loving art but never uh feeling like I know necessarily enough about it to like join in some like random conversation in a museum or a gallery or anything just being very I've always I feel like I kept how much I love art kind of close to the vest I kind of just like will show people that I go to museums but I wasn't really super open about having conversations because I've been very intimidated by it you keep art close to the vest that people keep like weird sexual proclivities close to the vest where you're like I didn't know he was a furry and you're like secretly I really love art yeah I'm like I'm in love with auto dicks never tell anyone um yeah like that kind of just feeling so separated from like we've said on a bunch of different episodes even the elitism of art and how like that can come off and just um being able to say that I was a part of an art history podcast and finding so many new artists that I love and also kind of unintentionally realizing why and who I connect with as artists and being Mm -hmm. able to like champion their life stories and like scream so excitedly about how I relate to them and Yeah, just like a lot of it's definitely brought a new understanding to me personally about how important different kinds of art are to me while learning so much from you and Jordan. So thanks for texting me about doing a (laughs) podcast and then showing me a picture that I had on my refrigerator that Artesia Galeshi painted. (laughs) that badass bitch i love her yeah i think it's funny because like to me you're so your taste is so avant-garde whereas i would say my taste is very more like illustrator representational i like i like technical work i think because i'm a technical artist that's what's interesting about it to me is like and or impressive to me is like when work is very technical Mm -hmm. whereas I feel like you're this very esoteric sort of avant-garde type of artist and I think you think about the world in a very avant-garde and abstract way which is really beautiful so I loved like seeing artists through your eyes and Mm -hmm. being able to value them the way that you see their value And the same with Jordan. Like, Jordan is very sensitive. And she, you know, with artists that I personally don't connect with, like, her sensitivity to them and their story and the meaning behind their work really helped me build a new appreciation for their work. I still think one of our best episodes is the Van Gogh episode uh, where Van Gogh's brother's wife did, like, championed him i think that's one of our best episodes i was about to say i think that there's so much to be said about what jordan brought to the podcast emotionally 100 she's so smart when it comes to art and like historical like said giving us context for things and all of that but when she knows so much more than i do (laughs) but when she picks someone it was so much based on her understanding how this person felt or like putting being able to even in that Van Gogh episode knowing more about her now and like seeing through the eyes of like 
caretakers, people that are like able to take on responsibility for something that they see as important outside of themselves. Yeah. Um, is just a Jordan as hell thing to like see and feel and share on the podcast. I also <laughs> want to say Jordan is currently, please go follow her at the Goonie bird. Yeah. G O O N E Y B I R D the yep. Goonie bird. Yeah. Um, but she is currently making miniature murder scenes <laughs> And they're fucking awesome. Oh my gosh. I have so there's to go just look. like a blood spattered wall or there's like a there's like a chair where someone spontaneously combusted and there's just like the <gasps> there's just like the 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 fire stain on the wall yeah. and like it's really cool. She's doing really cool stuff. I love seeing her make stuff. It feels like she's found this very true expression of self that unifies a lot of her interests and abilities and so like i'm really excited to see the art she's making and i'm really happy that she's like on this path so yeah go check out jordan's art we love you jordan thank you so much for being a part of this podcast for as long as was viable to you absolutely Um, and we love you all so much we love you yeah that's it for now bye okay bye forever (laughs)